Lesson 10, it takes a community to raise a Christian. Let's catch our breath and remember what we're aiming for with these Life on Life groups. We want to see the men and women God has brought to City Church become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. This is lesson 10 of what is designed to be 22 lessons. The life of following Jesus is a lifetime process, a never-ending journey. Familiarity is not mastery. That is, just because we've completed a study on justification doesn't mean we've even begun to live out the truth of our justification. We may be able to define it, even lead a lesson on it, but that doesn't mean the reality of it has settled in and taken root in our hearts. In fact, one sign that you're growing in the gospel is you have a growing sense of how little you actually understand its wonder and its depth. You have an increasing sense of how elusive the gospel can be. So it's good to take stock and review, just briefly, the ground we've covered. In lesson one, we saw that everything about knowing God begins and ends in the gospel of grace is pictured in resting in the Father's embrace. Lesson two followed Jesus in making humility the essential posture in our life with God. So if you ever find yourself discouraged over the course of these lessons, feeling this is too much, in every sense, every lesson is meant to drive us back to those first two lessons, for God gives grace to the humble. Lesson three, set discipleship as Jesus' priority for his church, and we gave Dallas Willard's definition of a disciple. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. The church exists to make disciples of Jesus. That's our mission. Lesson four reminded us that life with Christ is not an idea to be apprehended, but a reality to be embraced. The becoming a Christian means what is most essential to our identity is found outside of ourselves in Christ, but that Christ himself has chosen not to remain outside of us, but to dwell within us by his Spirit. Communion with God, made possible by our union with Christ, is the heart of the gospel message. Lesson 5 and 6 outlined how this union is made possible by our justification by faith and our adoption as God's beloved children. Lesson 7 warned against idolatry is our daily battle, the temptation to turn to other gods, and therefore set repentance, lesson 8, turning back to God's embrace as the new norm, the new constant for our new way of life. Whatever the problem, repentance is always the answer. Lesson 9 on the Holy Spirit reminded us that this turning is fundamentally not a matter of our own strength or willpower, but of learning to walk in reliance upon the Spirit of God. We can't live the Christian life on our own strength. Maturing looks like and feels like becoming more comfortable with acknowledging that the Lord is our strength. There is a great danger, however, in the way we have presented the material thus far. Even though this curriculum was designed to be passed on in relationships, 
you could easily fall into the trap of thinking that growth in Christ is primarily an individual, intellectual affair, something strictly between you and Jesus. And while it's true that God has no grandchildren, and each individual must come to sing the old hymn, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Nevertheless, Christianity is, if the New Testament is any guide, an intensely communal affair. Almost every time you see the word you in the New Testament, it's a second person plural. Y'all, someone from the South would say. Almost every imperative or command in the New Testament is second person plural. Paul and Peter, the gospel writers, Jesus himself, constantly address the individual in community. It's been said the primary activity of the church was simply one anothering one another. God created us to live in community. My favorite image of how God created us for community is from the other book God wrote, the book of nature. I'll give you the image and then we'll tighten our lens on just one biblical command. Have you ever seen a forest of redwood trees? It's breathtaking and no picture can capture the beauty and wonder. Some of them stretch to over 400 feet in height, just like a 40-story building, with their circumference that a basketball team could not stretch their arms around. The trees will take your breath away. You might think with such soaring heights that their roots would go down very deep, but you'd be wrong. Redwood trees happen to have very shallow root systems, often only five or six feet deep. But what they lack in depth, they make up for in breadth. One reason the redwoods are so strong and resilient in the fiercest of storms is because their root systems stretch out far and wide. Their roots are intricately intertwined with one another. Each tree in the forest is supported by the larger, wider system of roots that provides stability and rootedness together, enabling these magnificent trees not only to endure all sorts of wind and storms, but also to keep growing up and up year after year. God wants us to be rooted and grounded as well, resilient in life's storms, and to keep slowly growing up and into the new life he has for us. But we too need an interconnected root system that is strong enough to support and hold us together in adversity. Our lives need to become intertwined with one another beyond our biological family. In the 21st century West, we're such a highly individualistic culture, it's almost impossible for us to grasp how communal and community-based was the New Testament world. Today, we think of identity as largely an individual affair, an individual construct, something we choose for ourselves. Radical individualism, the individual's right to choose for himself what's most important, is so much a part of the air we breathe that the Bible's emphasis on community and new family can strike our ears as archaic, foreign, and even impossible. And yet the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. Even God as the Trinity is a community of persons in relationship, a community of friendship, and we are created in God's image. So we too were created to be in loving, self-giving community. Just as a solitary coal will lose its fire, will lose 
its fire separated from the burning embers, so a solitary Christian is on a dangerous path to drifting away. Christian maturity is full of paradoxes. When I'm weak, that I'm strong, the way up is down, the greatest among you is the servant of all. But one of the most important paradoxes is that the more mature in Christ we become, the more we realize how much we need other people. It takes a community to raise a Christian. And a follower of Jesus will not survive, let alone flourish, without a community to help him or her along the way. Quite apart from the vision of the solitary pilgrim as the spiritual giant, content to be alone on his own, a maturing disciple is becoming more self-aware and more other-aware. She's becoming a lot more at home with her own weaknesses, brokenness, and as a result, much more aware and comfortable of how much we all need the comfort and care of one another. God made us to need other people. That phrase, one another, have you ever noticed how often the New Testament writers employ it? It occurs 100 times in the New Testament, and approximately 59 of these occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Community is a risky endeavor because it's filled with sinful, fickle, and frail people like us. People will sometimes hurt and disappoint you, let you down. Disillusionment is inevitable, even essential, if we are ever to come to see that the church community is not an ideal that we must achieve, but a reality that God has created, and that God has chosen us to call us his own bride. And God never gives up on his bride, the church, so then neither should we. Christian community is intended by God to be the real world laboratory where we learn to love one another, not in word only, but in truth. It requires bravery, courage to invest again, to trust again, to risk being hurt again. But without this investment and ongoing risk, our individual life with Christ will not flourish. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And not because we're doing it wrong, but because life is difficult. And it's impossible without friends to help us bear our burdens. That's the particular command from Galatians chapter 6 I want us to focus on. Quote, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Does it strike you that this is from Galatians, the great letter whose theme is there's nothing you need to do and that our good works do not have any currency with God, yet it concludes that we are with something we are called to do. Chapter 6, verse 10 reads, As we have opportunity, let us do good. The gospel that Paul spelled out in Galatians 2 makes clear there's nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation, and yet Paul is equally clear that this gospel of grace has an agenda for our lives. We were not only freed from our sin, we are freed for a new life expressed in our relationships. To experience the new freedom God's given us, God spells out certain ways, new habits we are to practice. And most of these have to do with our relationships. He gives several pictures of new community in Galatians 6. Paul does, but let's focus on verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't it striking 
the letter which has been all about not being justified by the law, ends with the call to fulfill what Paul calls the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? From the larger context, we can conclude that the law of Christ is the law of love, the law of loving one another. Back in chapter 5, Paul wrote, The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why does neighbor love sum up the whole law? Why does loving those who happen to be around us, that's our neighbors, why is this called the whole law, even the law of Christ? Because Jesus is the embodiment of this type of love. Love was the rule of his life. Love was the law that Jesus lived by. And every law that God gives is to enable us to love him and love others better. Love is the end of every law. And when the law does not serve the ends of love, it is being misunderstood. The law of Christ is Jesus' call for us to love one another. Jesus calls us to love one another as he first loved us. And he embodied for us what he then commands of us. He enables us and then he commands us. Love one another as I have first loved you. From this call to bear one another's burdens, we see God's word is eminently practical, down to earth. When you place Galatians 5 verse 14 alongside chapter 6 verse 2, you see that the call to love our neighbor means to bear one another's burdens. It's easy for love to be abstract and vague. Galatians 6 verse 2 brings this abstract concept down to earth. It tells us that loving another person will often feel like a burden to us. Yes, the Bible calls it a burden to bear, to come alongside, and yet dares to say this is what love looks like lived out, helping one another to bear his or her burdens. That is, when you see someone with a burden, you willingly make a choice to go alongside them. Like seeing someone carrying something heavy, like a sofa, and saying, let me get under here next to you, close to you, so I can help you. And here's the thing, in what the Bible calls our flesh, we rarely feel like coming alongside. Burden-bearing is almost always inconvenient. It's easy to be selfish or even to become entitled. We might pat ourselves on the back if we help someone do something here and there, as long as it's convenient for us. But Galatians 6 verse 2 is saying it's pretty much an ironclad way of knowing if you're actually loving someone is if you willingly undertake a burden. You don't want to get up early and drive them to the airport. You don't want to give up your Saturday to help them move. You don't want to go over and listen to them patiently again. You don't want to take the trash out. But a Christian is someone who is learning that is precisely what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer. He bore our burdens, even our sins, even when you ignored him or didn't appreciate him. We weren't just not a good friend to Jesus while we were yet his enemies. But he did more than bear our burdens. He took the weight of all of our sins on his back. He was gracious to us, undeserving though we are. And when you know that that is the kind of friend Jesus has been to you, that gives you the power to be that type of friend for others, even when they may not appreciate, deserve, or recognize it. You're able to come alongside, and not just your friends, the people who are nice to you. Jesus says even the tax collectors do that. But you're able to come alongside and bear the burdens of strangers, even enemies. 
Jesus' love for you gives you the power to bear one another's burdens, not in theory, but to willingly take on your shoulders the burdens you see someone else carrying. It may be helping someone financially this time of year. It may be helping someone clean out their barn or their closets. It might be helping someone move. It may be sitting with someone going through a very hard time who just needs someone to sit and listen to them attentively. Patient listening to one another's pain can be such a rare gift. Most of us just want someone to listen to us. In verses 3 and 4 of Galatians 6, Paul goes on to comment that our failure to help others may reveal that we are deceiving ourselves. And he encourages us to test ourselves by this very practical measure of how we are bearing the burdens of others. People who have received God's love will extend that love. But then Paul says something very strange in verse 5. He says, For each of you will have to bear his own load. How can we carry one another's burdens when each should carry his own load? What's Paul saying? He can't be saying that in the end it's up to us to make it happen, that in the end we're on our own. Rather, he's giving us a picture of individual responsibility in the context of Christian community. Load is not the same Greek word as burden. A burden is a heavy weight meant to be shared. A load, you could say, is like a kind of backpack. It's what God has placed on your shoulders. It's your road to walk. It's your calling, your responsibility. And God has given to each one of us different burdens, different callings, different opportunities, different difficulties. And as much as we are called to help others bear their burdens, there is one burden we can't share, and that is walking the road of our own personal agency. You can't avoid or blame shift. You can't offload that responsibility and point the finger at others. You have to carry the load of your own responsibility to follow Jesus. God made our wills to surrender to his will. Our wills are ours to make them thine. And no one can take that responsibility off your back. And here's the key. Part of that personal responsibility is assuming the role of burden bearer for one another. This too is part of your calling. See, it's easy to say Jesus plus nothing, that my identity, my worth is in Christ and not found in social comparison. But how this truth gets from our head into our hearts, that is our load to bear. And it can feel like more than a backpack. It can feel like a daily death, learning to die to those ways you formally defined yourself. These are the tiny thousand daily deaths, the little deaths, dying to our old habits, old stories, the lies we used to live by. This sounds daunting, but there is a great promise in these verses that the more we die to our old selves through serving and coming alongside one another, self-giving, burden-bearing, even when it's inconvenient, the more we give up on our own wishes, the more we help one another in community, the more we will discover our own true self. And Jesus said that, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says that in service above self, in coming alongside to serve others, we're actually freed from the tyranny of our self-concern, freed to become more of who we truly are. We find ourselves only in sacrificial community. Secular scientists have discovered that one of the best ways to find happiness is random acts of kindness for others. 
but they may not realize this works because they are tapping into deep biblical wisdom. Indeed, into the very fabric of the image of God that we were created to give ourselves away in self-giving, other-centered, outward-facing love. We were made to bear one another's burdens. And God was so kind to give us a picture in nature, the redwood trees, to show us how much we need one another to grow up in Christ and endure life storms. So next time someone asks you for help, even when it's inconvenient, especially then, see this as God's invitation, an opportunity to cure us of our selfishness and direct us toward the only thing that's going to give us the contentment we seek, and that is learning to love one another as Jesus first loved us. Okay, see you next week.